When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 14. Hello everyone and welcome back to another edition of the Dark Paranormal, Episode 7, Season 14. First and foremost, a huge thank you to everyone who reached out following last week's episode 6, Devoted Friend or Demonic Fiend. It certainly produced some of the most positive feedback we've received in a long time in regards to a particular episode. But I can take zero credit for that episode other than putting the person's experience in front of you guys. And don't forget, after today's episode, there are only two more episodes before we reach our season finale. Which means, of course, I'm going to ask you guys to provide me with your experiences for season 15. Now, in full disclosure, those blocks are filled. But as I say each and every time, if the correct experience comes through... And I think it's a stronger experience than one that currently sits in season 15. It will go in. So, don't let the fact that we already have season 15 almost nailed down put you off from sending in your experience. And send it through to contact at thedarkparanormal.com. Now, today's experience comes in from an experiencer who provided us with the season 12 finale. It's Johnny, but this time he's writing about something very different and something I don't think we've looked too deep into on this show. And that is what we have within our genetic makeup. By that I mean we forever will see the good stories. The twins who didn't know they were separated at birth ended up marrying identical women with the same job They ended up mirroring each other's life along each step of the way and eventually reunited somewhere towards later life. Now, they're all the good stories, the light stories. But we don't do very well focusing on light stories here. And believe me, within the very first few paragraphs, you will understand just how dark Johnny's email is. But as ever, before we reach Johnny's amazing experience, we need to, of course, thank our wonderful team over at Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon, not only will you receive every episode that we release, both early and ad-free, but you can also gain exclusive access to the Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a show where we take a half-hour look at some of the shorter experiences that have been sent in. And no, none of those experiences will ever feature on a minisode. The podcast is, and always will be, only available to our Patreons. 
and there are currently over 60 hours worth for you to go and binge. Not only that, but we release a new episode each and every Sunday of the year without fail. Even on the three-week break we take in between seasons of The Dark Paranormal. Meaning you never miss your paranormal fix. We've built a wonderful team of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon. And we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Just like the following wonderful new team members have. Lisa Healy, Amelia Garnham, Jamie, Carolyn, Claren, LMTD, Carrie Wells, Carissa Nicole, Jess, Holly Smith, Dave Baxter, Nicole Kalari, Amy Chamberlain, Elva Tavares, Karen Haig, Rachel Mayer, Nathan Pullen, Amanda, Preston, Christy M. Miller, Adam Tripp, Alice Mellers, Christopher Dean, Matty Cragg, Jennifer Rays, Mikhail H., Leah Teresa, Anne Mariano, Sean Mayer-Reynolds, Christina Peake, and Starla Martin. Thank you so much, guys. Sincerely, your support for this show means the world to me, and I sincerely hope you enjoy all those early ad-free releases, including debuts and premieres, and of course, all of those Dark Bites episodes to binge through. And so, if you'd like to join our wonderful team over on Patreon, simply head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. And I think I managed to get the full intro in within the five minutes as promised at the start of the season. So don't forget, if you're not a fan of the intro or the Patreon readouts, skip forward to five minutes from the start and you should be more or thereabouts at the start of today's experience. Speaking of which... It's time to lower those lights, make yourself comfortable, and of course, leave your disbelief at the door, as we hear all about the sins of the Father. To give a brief introduction for anyone who didn't hear my previous experience, I'm an Irish traveller from the west of Ireland, who's had numerous paranormal encounters throughout my life not least of all my most recent one, which you can hear all about in Season 12, Episode 10, The Haunting of a Lifetime. But the experience I'm about to share with you is not exactly mine, as in, it didn't happen to me directly, but rather to my parents. However, I was certainly present whilst it occurred and I encountered more of it than I would have liked. As you've often said on the show, when a person believes in the paranormal, they are giving up their right to believe solely in the nice part, the comforting side. By believing in that, they must also believe in the existence of evil by default. Because, obviously, if there are spirits who are good and kind there are also spirits who are evil and bad. There is no light without darkness, so to speak, just as there's no night without day. Building off that thought, I think it's fair to say that a lot of people believe, perhaps somewhat naively, that because they themselves are good people, then automatically that means all of their family members, all of their ancestors that have come before them, must have been the same. 
regardless of whether or not you're religious or you believe in an afterlife. I think it's a comforting idea for a lot of people to consider our deceased loved ones and even ancestors that have long since passed as being somewhere that they're happy or at the very least not suffering because they must have been good people just like you, right? But what about the ones who weren't? Too many of us never consider the fact that evil people have descendants too. I wish that I could tell you that I'm not one of those descendants, but unfortunately, I am. Following on from the above point, and also to give you some context for later in my experience, I need to tell you about one of my ancestors. My paternal great-great-grandfather, to be precise. I will refer to him as Martin Bones, for the sake of maintaining his anonymity. Even though I am a direct descendant of this man, I have no qualms in telling you that he, well, he was one inherently evil person. If you could even call him a person. You see... Martin Bones was infamous amongst his own family and peers during his lifetime as being one exceptionally cruel and bad-natured man. He married at least twice. His first wife, coincidentally enough, was married to one of my ancestors on my mother's side of the family. The simplest way to explain it would be to say in the same way that my grandmother would tell me. It was her grandmother's sister. Anyway, Martin Bones would go on to murder that wife in cold blood. After beating her mercilessly, he dragged her from the camp where they were staying to a nearby shallow stream, and he held her face under the running water and drowned her before dragging her lifeless body to an old hen house nearby, where he abandoned her body along with the still-alive infant son. He decided, for whatever reason, that before he left, it would be a good idea to leave the baby nursing on his dead mother's milk. And then he left the scene of the crime. When the farmer came around the next morning to feed the chickens, he was certainly horrified to find a dead body in the chicken coop. But even more distraught, when he realised the creature wriggling around on the floor, covered in chicken excrement, was in fact an infant baby. Incidentally, one of Martin Bone's sons, who happened to share the same name, also went on to murder his wife, a murder that was witnessed firsthand by several people, all too afraid to intervene for fear of what might happen to them if they tried. Among these innocent bystanders was my own grandmother, who was only a child at the time. 
They helplessly watched the cruel beating before the final deadly kick to the chest was delivered. A final fatal blow. My grandma would recall how blood ran from the poor woman's mouth when she finally slumped over and fell to the ground in a heap. Her death, she says, was a mercy in some ways, mainly because it meant she would no longer have to suffer the agony she would continually sustain from her husband's cruelty. Martin Bone Sr. served his time in prison for the murder of his first wife, and after being released, went on to have subsequent relationships and at least one other marriage to the woman whom he fathered my great-grandfather. Martin Bones was a tinsmith by trade, as were most traveller men in those days. One afternoon, he was outgoing house to house in the countryside, looking for work, and someone asked him to replace the bottom of a bucket. This would have been a regular practice at the time, because farmers in rural areas didn't just throw away their tools and equipment if they broke, but rather they would have them mended instead. So he prepared his tools for the job, and the people of the house went back inside to carry on with their daily chores. When they returned a short while later to check on his progress, they were shocked to find Martin Bones dead. However, his body still seemed to be standing upright, because he was propped up leaning back against the anvil that he used for his work. His head was tilted forward, his eyes still open but glazed over, and his tongue had turned ink black. It had also swollen to an unnatural size and stuck out of his mouth. There were huge piles of white froth on the ground, which had fell from the corners of his mouth. The people in the house immediately sent for the priest in order to have the last rite administered to the deceased man. However, upon the priest's arrival, he took one look at the body and point-blank refused to perform the sacrament. That is not a man of God, he declared. That is an evil man. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank accounts. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. 
Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. So now that everyone has an understanding of who this man was, we can get back to the experience. You may recall from my first experience that we moved to stay with my grandmother after my grandfather had passed away. Well, I omitted a very brief period of my life immediately prior to this. For around six months to a year beforehand, my father, mother, brother and I lived in a caravan on the road full-time. We'd given up our council house because the entire estate where we lived was being demolished and rebuilt. And although this was a good thing in many ways, it would unfortunately take several years to be completed, and the alternative accommodation being offered to us for that period would be in a very unsanitary environment, with terrible living conditions. So we politely declined. My parents, being relatively young and perhaps somewhat naive at the time, decided that it would be a better idea to join my aunt with her husband and their kids and take to the road in the caravans. All they would need was a nice, safe place to set up camp. Somewhere they would have a reasonable amount of space, and that was far away from urban areas, so to avoid causing a nuisance to anyone and subsequently being asked to move on. After scouting for several days trying to find somewhere suitable, my aunt's husband came over to let us know that he'd found somewhere. The area in question ticked all of the essential boxes, but it was far from perfect at the same time, and perhaps not in the direction we'd initially intended. The campsite itself was about a hundred metres of cul-de-sac, which ran parallel to the main road onto a sharp bend near the end of it. It was separated from the road by a ridge of grass and a low ditch in parts. 
likely the remnants of one of the area's well-known stone walls, which had long since been overgrown. It was truly well out into the countryside, several miles from the nearest town, along a notorious accident black spot known by local people as the Killer Stretch. Due to the obscene number of fatal road traffic accidents that had occurred throughout the years. Now, if this was the best option for a living situation, well, at least that my parents had at the time, I would hate to think what the alternative was like. The women and children were stranded in the middle of nowhere during the day, whilst the men left to earn their money. There were no toilet facilities, no running water, and we had very limited use of electricity due to the expense of running a petrol power generator. But to every problem, there's always a solution, and we simply had to soldier on. One of the first things that I noticed after we arrived at the campsite was the large black dog. The adults were all preoccupied with getting the caravans into position and making sure everything was set up before nightfall, so I was left sitting in the car waiting, along with my brother. I only caught a glimpse of it as it darted between the cars and quickly fled across a ditch into a nearby field. I didn't think a lot about it at first. Well, apart from the fact it looked huge. I even heard my auntie mention the dog a few days later whilst in conversation with my mother. She said that she'd seen it dart past the area around the edge of the campsite once or twice. But, similar to my encounter, she didn't get a clear glimpse. She was, however, concerned that this behaviour suggested it wasn't too friendly and feared it might bite one of the children. This prospect was made all the more concerning by the seemingly freakishly large stature of the dog. My dad had a large dog too at the time, mainly for security reasons, but it was also our family pet. And I think this eased concerns about being attacked by the stray. We were there only a few days when my father started to act unusual. He was more aggravated than usual. And on top of that, there was just something a little bit generally off about him. I guess we just assumed it was the stress of our situation, and things had just gotten on top of him. So we just tried to get on with things. Then my aunt came over one day, not long after, to tell us that they as in her and her family, were pulling out of the camp. But only for a week or two, so they could go and stay with some other family members who lived quite far away for an extended visit. They said they would also scout other campsites in that area, and if any were suitable and available, we would all move there when they came back. A few nights after they left, we were all in bed asleep when my mother suddenly woke up. She felt a bit anxious and she woke like there was something wrong. 
but she was also groggy and tired, and so she turned over onto her side to try and get back to sleep. She turned to face in the direction of where my father was sleeping. But she noticed something. His eyes were wide open. But he wasn't awake. She whispered his name and gave him a nudge. But he didn't reply. My mother checked to make sure that he was still actually breathing and then turned back away from him, shut her eyes and eventually fell back asleep. My father's behaviour began to grow even more strange during the daytime as well. He would barely eat or drink anything and claimed he wasn't sleeping very well. My mother finally confronted him on the matter. What's wrong? I know something isn't right with you, Louis, so just tell me what's going on. My father was hesitant, but eventually replied with, You're going to think I'm mental? He explained that ever since we'd moved there, he wasn't really feeling his usual self. But like the rest of us, he'd initially put it down to the stress of our living situation and the uncertainty around how we were going to change that. My mother understood and probably expected that he was feeling this way. But the next thing he said, she certainly did not expect. You see, my father explained that a few nights prior, when we'd all gone to bed, he decided to go and have a shave. He set up a basin of water and a small mirror on top of one of the countertops in the caravan. He raised the razor to his face and he looked in the mirror. But what he saw made him drop the razor with fright. You see, rather than his own reflection looking back at him, he saw that of a slightly older man. The man in the reflection had similar features, but was still a visibly different person and had a coal black beard rather than the browny ginger one my father had. He slowly went back to the mirror, taking a second look, and he still saw the strange reflection looking back at him. Unsure of what to do and feeling overwhelmed, he washed his face and threw the water out of the basin and went straight to bed. He said he hadn't mentioned it before to my mother because he was afraid that she would think he was sounding like an idiot or a crazy person talking nonsense. My mother reassured my father that he was no fool and was just overwhelmed and stressed out like he'd said. She told him everything was going to be okay and reminded him we would probably be moving away pretty soon. A few nights later, the same thing happened again. My mother awoke from her sleep, but this time she instantly jumped with fright. My father was sitting upright. His back was as straight as a die, and his arms by his sides. But he wasn't leaning against anything, and his eyes were wide open, just like the first time. 
I don't have to tell you that the physics involved in this don't make a lot of sense. Try it the next time you go to bed, and you'll soon see it's an extremely difficult and uncomfortable position to maintain for any period of time, especially for a large adult male. My mother once again rolled back over to the other side, but this time she prayed in silence, because obviously this wasn't normal behaviour for anybody, asleep or not. There was little else she could do. We were in the middle of nowhere, locked in a glorified cardboard box, no electricity, and we didn't have a mobile phone at the time, as that tech was still in its early days. In the following days, I was playing outside, and I ventured a little bit further away from our caravan than I had done previously. And I froze. There was the dog. This time, it was right in front of me, and quite close. It began snarling, and then started bounding towards me. I bolted. I ran as fast as my chubby little legs could carry me. I called out for our own dog, who I knew would protect me with its life. I just had to make it to the end of his tether. I could hear the snarling and snapping getting closer behind me. My mother flung open the door of the caravan just as I reached the area of safety. And our family dog eagerly watched me with anticipation and pounced to attack whatever was behind me as soon as it came within range. I threw myself at the caravan door, completely missing the step. I landed inside with a bang after walloping my shins against the area beneath the door. My mother was trying to make sense of the whole situation. I told her what had happened through my tears, and she stared back with a look of slight confusion. She said she'd seen me running away from something, but she didn't understand, because there was nothing to be seen or heard behind me, or anywhere near me. I'm not sure she would have believed at all if it was not for the thing she'd seen herself, and the fact she'd witnessed our dog engage in a scuffle with thin air before triumphantly patrolling the perimeter of the caravan, marking his territory. Our dog was a great family companion, but when it came to our safety, he didn't mess around, and he certainly didn't attack nothing for the sake of playing a game. He knew his job, and he was always very serious about it. There's no doubt in my mind he saw what was chasing me, and he kept me safe. Jumping forward a bit to the following weeks, and things had settled down slightly. My mother had gotten into the habit of shaking holy water around the caravan at night, given the recent occurrences. One night, after she'd gone through the process of her nightly routine and took us all into bed, she and my father headed off to get a night's rest themselves. A few hours into the night, my mother woke up again. She froze for a moment, contemplating whether or not to turn and face my father. 
she checked her watch, almost four o'clock in the morning. She eventually turned around, because as scared as she was to look, she was even more afraid to not. Her fear was justified, because once again, sitting upright with his eyes open, staring straight ahead, sat my father in that strange, rigid position. But this time, his eyes had dilated. Not dilated a little bit, like someone who sustained a concussion. No, the black in the centre of his eyes had completely covered not only the coloured part of the eyeball, but also the white of his eye. It looked like there were two jet black holes where his eyes used to be. My mother quickly put her hand over her mouth to try and stop from screaming. She said she felt like she was literally going to die from the fear she felt. She didn't go back to sleep. She just lay there praying, trying not to make a sound, until she finally heard my father get out of bed that following morning. My father became more distant in the following days, and certainly much more aggressive, to the point it was borderline violence. This aggression was aimed mainly at my mother. He would criticise her and snap at her for no reason, often storming off into fits of rage and banging the caravan door as hard as he could. He would also sometimes break things in frenzies of anger and was constantly in a state of paranoia. I think it hurt my mother more than she was letting on, especially when he broke our possessions, because it wasn't like we could afford to just go out and buy new ones. We just had to do without, and we had little enough as it was. My aunt and her husband soon returned with the family and brought with them the sad news that unfortunately the other campsite we were interested in was currently occupied and we'd have to make do with where we were, for the time being at least. Then one day we had an unexpected visitor. An elderly traveller man from not very far away dropped by to say hello having noticed our camp. This wasn't an unusual custom in our culture, particularly back then, when it was more common to see traveller campsites all throughout Ireland. It's not as common for travellers or people in general to just drop in anymore, given that most of us now have fixed addresses, mobile phones, so there's no reason not to give forewarning of an intended visit. Anyway, this gentleman got down to conversation with my father and my aunt's husband, and he was very surprised to see anybody camping at Martin's Bend, as he called it. Nobody's used this site in about ten years. Strange things supposedly happen here, especially to the last people who stayed, the elderly man said. My father then asked him what had happened there, but he wasn't too keen to answer. Eventually, 
He told them that some of the previous occupants were outside chatting fairly late one evening when a fancy-looking car pulled up and rolled down the window. It was a sporty-looking car and the young men made their way over to the driver's window to see who it was. There was a young man behind the wheel, barely old enough to hold a driving licence. He asked the men for a light for his cigarette, and they obliged. He then asked if anybody needed a lift, and they all declined, but thanked him for the offer. He quickly rolled up the window and took off like a rocket down the road. Just as the car rounded the bend and went out of sight, they heard the screech of tyres and a huge bang. They sprinted after the car and could see what looked like the glow of flames. But when they rounded the corner themselves, nothing was there. Then, one of them noticed a memorial plaque by the side of the road. Apparently, what had happened a few years prior to the incident was that the son of a well-known local car dealership had turned 18 and was given a brand new sports car by his father, for his birthday. He took the car out for a spin, but spun out on that corner and crashed. He was killed instantly in that exact spot. After this story, the old man changed the subject and inquired about everybody who was there and where we came from. My aunt's husband said who he was and began explaining his lineage to the old man. The old man responded by saying he came from very nice people and he'd known some of his relatives in the past. Then my father said who he was and the old man seemed a bit caught off guard and asked him who exactly his father and his grandfather was. My father told him and he replied, Your great-grandfather used to camp here, years ago. It was his camp, really. Martin Bones. Hence the name Martin's Bend. Now, I don't like to say a bad word about anyone, but he wasn't very well liked, he told my father. His own son tried to burn him alive in a fire, right here where you're standing. Got him drunk and threw him in. It's a mystery how he survived. My father was still processing what he'd heard before the man casually added, Yeah, this was his camp, all right. He used to keep a huge black dog when he stayed here. He then turned and looked deeper at my father's face. He looked a bit like you, actually, except he had a black beard. Well, this was enough for my mother. She'd been through more than her fair share of paranormal encounters in the previous years with myself. My grandfather had unfortunately just passed away, and this required us to move to my grandmother's place on a permanent basis, so as not to leave her living alone. My mother claimed that my father was never the same after we left that place, and they separated not long after. Unfortunately, 
none of us are on speaking terms with my father anymore, and he relocated to a different country more than a decade ago. I often wonder if we'd been unwittingly led to that place by something evil, with the intention of influencing my father to murder my mother. I do think sometimes if evil gets hold of you, it can try to make its way down through your bloodline like some sort of genetic disease. It certainly had hold of Martin Bones, and subsequently his son, and I think it tried its hardest to get hold of my father as well. Perhaps it did in the end, just not in the way it intended. All the best, Johnny. Wow, Johnny, thank you so much for providing Episode 7's experience. And I'll be perfectly honest, although I never re-listen to anything I record because I hate the sound of my own voice, I am now going to go back and listen to Season 12's Episode 10. Because that experience you've just told us right there is one of the best I've had all season. In my opinion, anyway. And I'll tell you why. It's because what doesn't happen within this experience. We don't have things flying off walls. We don't have demons appearing in the corner of the room. We have a family trying to move to a safe location. But the backdrop, the entire lineage of the whole experience, brought together only by a stranger at the end, Well, it's truly magnificent, and I mean that in the darkest sense of the word. So once again, in all sincerity, thank you so much, Johnny, for such an amazing familial experience. Now that wraps up Episode 7 of The Dark Paranormal Season 14, meaning just two more episodes before we reach our grand finale. And believe me, from episode 8 onwards, we're moving up a gear. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you again on Sunday for another instalment of Dark Bites. And for everyone, until next week, stay safe, take care, and remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time, right here on The Dark paranormal.